I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. A a another star-studded podcast. It's amazing how many of the star-studded podcasts we've been having lately. We're now, like uh, you know, we're we're setting the bar too high because now it's going to be like every week people are going to expect it to be star-studded, and occasionally it's just going to be you and me, and it's going to be a huge disappointment. Huge, huge disappointment, but not a disappointment this week because we have Brandon McCarthy with us. Brandon, welcome. Joe, thank you for having me. Mike, you as well. There you go. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Did, did, you know what? Uh, Brandon, the first guy to also thank you for having him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No one's ever thanked me for anything on this on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, oh, this is this is exciting. This is exciting. So Brandon, uh, you know, I I can say with with somewhat uh I think I can say this pretty pretty uh with with some certainty. Uh this podcast is going to go great for you. This is this is I'm not saying that the Christmas music podcast didn't go great for you, but I'm saying this one will definitely go great for you. I I think the Christmas podcast one went fantastic for me. <laughs> I, I'm still getting feedback from people <laughs> online over this. In terms of brand creation, I've, I don't think I've ever done anything better than that. <laughs> what, what brand exactly do you, do you feel like you created there? One, the Christmas in Sarajevo, the popularity of is, is just blowing up. Um, I hear about it all the time. I think I've turned people onto it. Millions of listeners had to go find out for themselves how good it was. And now people don't disagree right. with me. They just keep feeding in. They're like, that was a good call. So now you, you're, you're, in other words, your brand that you created is the Christmas in Sarajevo guy. You're that, you're that guy. You're the guy who, you're the first guy to jump in on that, on, on that now bandwagon. You're driving, you're saying you're driving the Christmas in Sarajevo bandwagon, basically. Yeah, the, it's okay to support Christmas in Sarajevo bandwagon. I think that. Like, <laughs> what, I mean, what a service you are doing for all of those people who have been ashamed of their Christmas in Sarajevo past. Now they can come out they can, and they can come out into the light and and finally be heard <laughs> in the way because it's safe now. <laughs> Brandon has definitely made it safe. That's awesome. All right, we've got so many. We, you know, Brandon. One thing we've done since uh, since we had you on is we added about sixteen thousand different segments to the podcast. So the podcast is now uh, nothing but but segment after segment. Um, and our first segment is the Yankee Minute, uh, which is going to be, I believe, Mike, this is going to be the best Yankee Minute ever. I mean, settle in, people. <laughs> settle in for a 42-minute Yankee Minute. I, that's what I'm, I'm aiming at here. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean best Yankee Minute ever. I'm calling it before we even start. And it's appropriate that we have a former New York Yankee joining us. <laughs> Uh, who will have to answer for his sins? <laughs> well, well, one of those sins I and I actually shared with with Brandon, which we will uh, get to in a minute. Um, but let's let's just say this: so we are talking on Wednesday, the day after the Red Sox finished off the Yankees uh, three to one in the American League Division Series. Yankee 
a game that they had well in hand uh, until the ninth inning. The Red Sox had well in hand until the ninth inning um, when uh, they put in uh, one of the all-time great closers in baseball history who promptly lost his mind and just about, just about blew the game, but did not blow the game, which makes it so much better. So, <laughs> Mike, you just have to – I just want to give you a few a – few, as long as you want. Great. To I, want 40, I want 42 minutes. So here's <laughs> here's a few things to say about this. Number one, I was at games one and two. I took my jerk son to Boston and I and I went to games one and two. Game one was delightful, although, uh, you know, it got a little too close for comfort there. It was five nothing. And the Yankees came back and chipped away. And then Kimbrell came on and pitched great. And that I, I didn't re, I didn't realize this until it was over. But seeing the Red Sox defeat the Yankees in a playoff game at Fenway Park, it turns out I realized was like number one on my bucket list of like experiences. <laughs> like I didn't <laughs> I didn't fully understand it until it had happened and I saw the team celebrating. But it was truly it was truly wonderful and magical and felt great and uh, it was it was fantastic. And then game two was of course not as good. Uh, I I had very good seats. I stubhubbed uh, kind of splurged on the seats and I was sitting between home plate and first base, pretty close to the field and. The, the home run that Sanchez hit uh, to uh, essentially, well, just left of center field. It's the farthest ball I've ever seen hit in any major league baseball game. Oh, yeah. It oh, was yeah. like a, the only thing I could compare it to is like a, I watched a plane take off away from me. <laughs> like it just, it would just a, a steady incline going on to infinity. Uh, it, it was insane. I think the stack cast had it at 479 feet. Uh, they were off by 479 feet it was a it was a 958 foot home run uh and but of course at that point i had already seen them win a game we were playing with house money i fully expected the yankees to split at least split i thought we were coming back to fenway for game five uh the 16 to 1 game uh we'll come back to that in a second because i have something to say to to you too we'll come back to that in a second but the game last night um the at the end of the day so it was my anniversary is my wedding anniversary last night wow. my 13th wedding anniversary and i realized that my 13th wedding anniversary gave me a wonderful opportunity to not pay attention to this game because it was too emotional it was too like hard to concentrate i didn't want to watch it i had no interest in in the emotional roller coaster that i knew was going to ensue and so i was like this is great and i did not look at my phone and I didn't follow the game. I went out and had a lovely dinner with my wife and we talked about the last year of our marriage and it was very lovely. And then at the end of the dinner, I went and looked and saw that I had 400 text messages <laughs> and retroactively relived the roller coaster of the ninth inning. Um, but the point of it is, the point of this whole thing is the world is upside down. The Red Sox have now won seven of the last eight, I think, playoff games against the Yankees. Um, and if you listen to the quotes from the Yankees, they are the quotes that the Red Sox would give all the time in, <laughs> in 99 and 2003 and, and any other time that they were humiliated and embarrassed. Um, last night, uh, Gardner said, this is the exact quote. I actually wrote it down. Ready? He yes. said, I felt like we could play with them. I felt like we could beat them, but we didn't play our best baseball and we got beat. I mean, I felt the Yankees are saying, I felt like we could play with them about the Red Sox. And then Aaron Boone said, uh, I feel like we're very close to being a championship club right now. 
I mean, this is amazing. This is to me the most cathartic part of this isn't the victory. It's the it's the way in which like the Yankee attitude right now is like we had hope for a while and then it was snuffed out in a sad way in our home stadium. <laughs> like it's just crazy. I don't I don't know how to function in a world where that's the dynamic between these two teams where the Yankees are like we're so good and we had a shot to beat the the better team and we, we so well, we were so close and it's so frustrating. I mean, that's how that was my entire life. And uh, it's weird that my jerk son and ba- basically anybody who's, you know, let's call it 15 and under only knows this world, right? They only know the world where the Red Sox are the dominant team in the East. And the, I mean, the Yankees want to know nine and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like generally speaking, in the, especially in the last few years, like it's been the other way around. I don't understand how to function in a world like that. I'm very happy to. I'm not <laughs> complaining. Um, but I just like you go through the you go through all of the, um, you know, statistics of the series. And Stanton was four for 18 with six K's and completely fell apart. And Judge was a monster. But, you know, what are you going to do? But everybody else like. Everyone, no, no one else really, none of their starters except for Tanaka pitched well. And even some of their bullpen guys like Britain got touched up a little bit. Like Batances was pretty good, but like they just like, they didn't do the thing that in my life they had always done, which is just quietly suffocate you and drive all of the hope out of your, out of your emotional core. <laughs> so why don't you get, now this is what I want to do now. That was my opening statement of this Yankee minute. I would like I would love to hear from you two. And then we're gonna circle back around and we're gonna get to what <laughs> happened in game three. Uh, because you have the uh, I have some things to say about it. Uh, you probably have some things to say about that. Brandon, uh, what did you think? What did you make of this series? I, kind of what Mike said. I, it was like the opposite where it was like the gentle strangling of the life out of the other team's soul was the Red Sox, where you just it felt like it was gonna keep even last night I I mean, even when Gary Sanchez hit that ball and you're like, oh, that might be it. it and it didn't happen. You're like, this isn't, it just feels like it's still going to be the Red Sox for whatever reason. I kept hoping it wasn't going to be, I, I wanted more drama. I wanted that game to keep going, but it, like, it just didn't, <laughs> didn't happen. And then I, the more I thought about it, like one, I hadn't read those quotes, which those quotes are, they sound like the Rays had played in this series. Um, like, yeah, the Brewers. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. There's like a Milwaukee Brewers right. like, quote. That's, that's what it sounded like. Say, even though I get it, if you're giving that interview at that time, like <laughs> it makes sense. But on the larger scheme, it sounds pretty silly. Um, I don't know. I don't know where this Red Sox team has come from like this, where it just this much of a behemoth, this good. But I, I, I thought it was a, it was like a good series, but not what I was hoping it would be. But I think that's going to be reserved for the next series, which is, I think, getting past Houston will be close to a nightmare. Now you said to me, you said to me, Brandon, before the series, when we we were texting and you said something that I thought was very interesting, which is that you personally, if you had to choose, would way rather pitch to the Red Sox lineup than the Yankee lineup. I'm sorry, the other way around, the other way around, you would much rather pitch to the Yankees. uh, And, and you give it, give me, tell people your explanation for this. Cause I thought it was fascinating. I mean, this is a Yankee team that just set the all time major league record for home runs in a season. And yet, right. in your opinion, you would way rather face the Yankees than the yeah, Red Sox. I think it's maybe the way you would go about getting getting your ass completely kicked. Um, and this is this is how I do it. I'm very aware that the Yankees could just um, turn you upside down in a heartbeat. But there's uh, there's a little bit more of like a methodical hitting approach to the Red Sox, where it's like you're battling one through eight at the same time, as opposed to the Yankees, where it's like one after the other after the other. And 
I don't know if that completely makes sense, but one of the things that I remember with the Red well, Sox in 2013, one of the best, best playoff series I've seen was the Red Sox Tigers in 2013. And it was both teams hit the same way. It was like this knockdown drag out affair where it was, uh, it was like all eight hitters were one person or all nine hitters were one person. It wasn't just like one individual after another. And it was like, whatever you just gotten someone out on O2, it just turned the count into like a two, one count for the next guy. Like, all right, I'm ready for what I just saw. And the Red Sox kind of hit that way where it's a little bit more Mookie feeds into the next guy and Xander picks up and it just sort of, they work together. The, the Yankees, I saw a little bit less of that. Um, so, I mean, it's still, it's still kind of pick your poison, but I think I would rather pitch to the Yankees if I was on where it was like, I could, I could get through them. Whereas Boston, it feels like they would just slowly bleed you to death. It's very interesting. No, it is. That's really, really interesting. And, and I have to say, just obviously as a, as just somebody who watches from 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 the outside, I I feel what you're saying because it, it really was true that each Yankee that comes to the plate, it's like it's you know it's almost like it's it's like the Yankees are like a variety show. It's like each you know they're or they're a concert, and each person that comes up is like you know better, better, better. They're all great within themselves, but you're right. There's like a you you're not really aware of who you're facing in the Red Sox order where they are in the order like you're not thinking oh my god they're three away from from Mookie Betts or whatever because everybody's I mean Betts is the best hitter but you know I mean Martinez is the best hitter and and then Xander is the best hitter and then you know I mean it's like there's there's I, I it's it really is one long string of very very good hitting versus you know just Oh, hey, okay. Now, you know, next up is you know is 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 uh, is Stanton, superstar, and the next up is Judge, superstar. And next up is this, and it's and and there is sort of an individual thing. I also will say this about that game yesterday, which I I, I don't remember the last time this happened to the Yankees. Um, they had about sixteen thousand things go wrong for them, like. Balls just go foul that that were, went fair for the Red Sox. You know the long ball that that somehow got hung up in the air. Great catches by the by the Red Sox that uh, that that took hits away. Um, everything just felt just a little bit off, and that's what always you always feel like when you're playing against the old days when you played against the Yankees. But your your point, Mike, about you know if you're 15 years old, you're saying oh they won in 2009. 2009 next year that's a decade ago. That since they've won and they haven't been great during that stretch since 2009. I mean, they went through a stretch of time where they were quite mediocre. So, so there is a whole different vibe about this team. And, and of course I love it. I could not but love think about it more. The thing, this is my point, right? The thing you're saying, this is the world is upside down thing because all yeah. like all the things that could have gone wrong for the Yankees kind of did. And right. all the things that could have gone right for the Red Sox kind of did. And like there was a closer implosion and it's the Red Sox closer. And yet they still <laughs> win that game. These are the things that like, this is what made the Yankees so infuriating for so long. It's that even in those teams in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like, they would have those moments where like things would go wrong and then you would look up and they still won. And it was their margin for error was just so much bigger than everybody else's somehow. And it felt like you just never, even, even when you thought you had hope or thought you had a chance, you didn't and they would win anyway. And it was infuriating. Now let's put that aside for a second. (laughs) Let's talk about what happened in game three. So in game Game three, three. uh, it's, it's one, one going, going to New York. And I, 
uh, can't watch that game either because I have a kind of a long meeting I have to be in here in California. And it's pretty uncool of me, I realized, to like have the game like MLB app on my phone. So <laughs> I actually I find this accidental loophole, which is that the two of you guys, my good friends, Brandon and Joe, are texting yeah. on this text thread about the game. And I'm kind of like following the text thread a little bit. And at one point, it's like what's happening. And it's like it's 10 to 1 Red Sox. I felt like from the texts, things were going well. And it was like, oh, it's, it's 10 to 1. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to win game three. They're going to be up 2 1. That guarantees us at least Chris Sale in. Fenway coming back on full rest. That's like a, that's a dream, right? That's what you want. So then like, and, and I'm following the text thread and you guys are kind of goofing around. It doesn't seem like anything interesting is happening. Then a long period of time goes by where nobody texts. <laughs> I say, when you, I write to you in the middle of this long meeting, when you guys don't text, I feel like the Yankees are hitting grand slams and taking the lead. And Brandon McCarthy, my friend texts back to me 10 to six. That's what he writes. <laughs> And I write, God damn it. <laughs> and you write, Joe, my friend, Joe, my longtime friend, Joe writes only one grand slam so far. And Brandon, my friend writes, um, Evaldi lost it. Kelly in now Yankee stadium is coming unglued. Joe, my other friend writes first run scored after an, uh, Angel Hernandez blown call at first. The Cora for some reason did not challenge. Now the, the, the details of that were so like at this point, it is, it is never going to occur to me that this is, uh, that you guys are messing with me because that is so likely, <laughs> that's so specific and so likely that it was a Hernandez blown call. I wouldn't realize how likely it was until later when I saw that he had blown four calls in the same game. Um, then some time goes by. Let's see, two minutes goes by. And then Brandon McCarthy, my friend Brandon, texts just, oh my God. <laughs> and then my friend Joe texts, that was crazy. I text what with a thousand question marks and exclamation points. Brandon writes, stay in your meeting. <laughs> and at this point I lose my mind. <laughs> so I like the, this whole thing has unfolded, right? This, this is the, this is what a childhood of being tormented by the Yankees will do to you. It was like, I saw the whole thing in front of me. I saw the 10 to one lead in Yankee stadium in the fourth inning. I saw the like, two scratch hits and a walk and a grand slam by someone I'm guessing. I think I guessed it was Andujar. Like, yeah, that sounds right. It's like Andujar hit a grand slam. And I see that it's like, oh, it's 10 six, but it's like, oh, Hey, it's 10 six in the, in the sixth inning. That's fine. Still a four run lead. We can deal with that. Then I saw the like, Joe Kelly comes in and can't find the plate and walks two guys and something. And then I see, uh, that it's Neil Walker pinch hitting for <laughs> Gliber Torres and he hits a little cheapy grand slam. I saw it. I saw it so fully and completely that it had happened. Like I, I saw the reality of it so clearly. Uh, by the way, the other thing I said, I wrote, uh, I cursed and I wrote, please just tell me. And then Brandon wrote the thing that really sent me over the edge, which was lots of guys earning their pinstripes. Now that's so mean. <laughs> That is such a mean thing to do that like I, I was like, because now you're, you're not telling me what's happening, but you are, because what you're saying is it's the new guys, it's Luke Voigt and Neil Walker and uh, whoever else is new on that uh, McCutcheon. That's what I think I thought it was McCutcheon, right? Cause I, then I saw the, like, I saw the back page 
of like the New York Post. It says like clutch cutch or something. <laughs> and I like I it unfolded in front of me with, with perfect clarity. And at some and then, by the way, this has now been going on for I mean, I'm going to actually get the timestamp on this. So it's this thing that you did started at <laughs> 655 and it ended at 713 so for basically 20 minutes you did this to me and finally joe wright wrote i keep waiting for brandon to tell you i'm realizing now that he won't it's red sox 10 to 1 <laughs> bottom of the sixth man on one out at which point i threw my phone across the room in the middle of the meeting i threw it onto the floor the people i was in the meeting with said everything okay and i said no it's not nothing is okay right now my two friends have betrayed me and I will never forgive them. And, uh, and our, I've lost two friendships. That's what, that's basically how I felt. Uh, mean, you are mean jerks. The two of you, I want you to know this in front of everyone who's listening. You are mean jerks. Yeah, I'll accept that. I'll, I think that's acceptable. Uh, Brandon, how, how did we start doing that, by the way? I, I think it was because no, we, I think it's just complete boredom. <laughs> well, there, there, there was entire boredom at the game, but I also think it was you and I imagining the uh, Mike freaking out because because they actually had ten nothing in that game, and I think that's when Brandon and I started thinking that you that you didn't deserve ten nothing because it, it not that you didn't deserve it as a fan, you didn't deserve it because you would hate it because all it would do, because it was like the third inning and it was 10 nothing, and that you would spend the rest of the game imagining how this would become the worst day of your life and the Yankees coming back. I yes, think that's, that's where this began. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and then to exploit that for your own entertainment makes you a mean jerk. Like, that's exactly my point. You you know me well enough to know that that is true, that I take no joy out of 10 nothing in the Yankee Stadium in the third inning. I take some joy out of it, but I don't feel safe. I don't feel confident. I've told this story before but i'll tell it again in the 2004 world series against the cardinals the red sox did not trail for a single inning in the 2004 world series not one inning did they trail (laughs) i did not feel safe i did not feel happy until it was the ninth inning keith folk was in the red sox were up three nothing the first batter of that inning i believe was albert pujols and i believe that albert pujols lined a ball uh through up the middle into center field for a single so (laughs) When that happened, here is what happened to my brain. I thought to myself, this is, he's going to blow this game. This game is over. The Cardinals are going to win this game four to three. And just as the Red Sox were the first team to ever come back down 3-0 in a, four, in a seven-game playoff series and win, now the only humiliation left for this franchise and for its fan base is to be the only team to ever come down from 0-3 to win and then be up 3-0 and then lose. And because that will be the ultimate... The, the like the worst possible way to lose a World Series is you come back down 0-3 against the Yankees, and then you're up 3-0 against the Cardinals, and you're up and you're up three to nothing in the ninth inning, and then the Cardinals come back just like the Red Sox did in the four, in Game Four against the uh, Yankees. The Cardinals come back and they score four runs. We go into tomorrow thinking whatever, no big deal. We're still up three one, and then we lose the last game in St. Louis, and it's three two. We go back to Fenway, and then the Cardinals win both games at Fenway, and they come back and they they've won the World Series. Our nemesis, the Cardinals, dating back all those years, forty six and sixty seven, like those teams. Uh, they, they beat us again. And before I could complete those thoughts, which were, again, I unfolded in front of me with perfect clarity, Folk could retire the next three guys in the Red Sox in the World Series. But like, you know, that it's, that that is the way that my brain works. And so 
out of boredom and out of and with armed with the full knowledge of my <laughs> worst weakness, my Achilles heel, my emotional Achilles heel, the two of you mean jerks decided for 20 minutes to just like out of pure boredom toy with me like like Roman emperors just toying with like with the, the gladiators that, that they use for their amusement. It is unforgivable. You, you, these, you will, as long as I know the two of you, we will never get past this. Brandon, no, uh, any regrets? The, the two things that stand out to me, especially as he read it back <laughs> and we got to relive this almost in real time, uh, is how perfectly we laid that out. And I think, not to give myself too much credit, but I think the 10 6 was like the hinge one where it was like, okay, it's believable that there was like a cut in that was, lead. That was it brilliant. wasn't all at once. It was like slowly leading him. It's perfect. It was absolutely perfect. It was the perfect, it was the yes. perfect score because it's like, oh my God. They scored five runs, but also like, it's okay. It's okay. Don't yes. worry. It's like you, you left me hope. You, you, you indicated that something terrible had happened, but you also left me enough hope that I, that I could cling to that it was still going to be okay. Which is why then when the second wave came in of stay in your meeting, a lot of guys earning their pinstripes, <laughs> Ten six was really flatly Perfect. saying ten six was the, was the master stroke without question. That- that was the mathematical genius. Ten eight doesn't work, and ten four doesn't work. So it's no, it's like ten no. six. Ten six was absolutely <laughs> the most plausible, perfect score for that. For my my well, nightmares my coming true. This whole time was that Joe, you were going to be the nice guy and just step out of it. And after I wrote, oh my god, there was like there was a, almost like a minute of silence, and I was like, oh come on, Joe, like I need you to just go one more step here. We can really finish this off. <laughs> and when you wrote something, I was like, "Perfect, we've got it. He's done." I don't know what this meeting is. I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's directing an episode of the show. Whatever it is, it's all ruined. <laughs> I think we've gotten there. <laughs> it's when you wrote, "Oh my God," I really was. There was that moment. You know, I'm like, uh, you know, he's Mike's suffering here. He's suffering. And 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 what do I do? And then I'm like, no, I got to do it. It's too perfect because oh my god, it was the perfect thing. So I'm like, that's crazy. That's all. That's all. Just that's crazy. And then and then you know, Mike is completely over the edge. He's like completely gone at that point. I missed probably seven or eight minutes of the meeting because my heart was pounding so hard that the blood was like in my ears was making it hard for me to listen to what was being said. My my favorite thing about this, and I think it's about like the enjoyment of, of ruining your evening. It was more about taking advantage of something that feels really um, like it just doesn't exist anymore. Like you had a lack of access to information, which it's 2018. That, that doesn't happen anymore. Now yes. I can say anything. And before I finish the words, you've typed it into a Google search bar on any device and it's there and you go, you're lying. Shut up. And you like some reason you were in the situation. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> You were handed the the two of you were handed this crazy loophole, which is a that I, a crazy person with an emotional <laughs> defect for a baseball team, had told you with like no guile at all, like completely guilelessly, I had told you that I was putting my understanding of the minute by minute event in your hands. I mean, I just walked into, I walked in, I can't believe how much I walked into it. I told the two of you mean jerks that you essentially could tell me what was happening in this game. And, uh, and then didn't think for one second 
that you were such mean jerks that you would lie to me. I don't know okay. how. Really, what the the person I'm angriest at here is me. Let's 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 just get, let's make that clear. I couldn't be more angry at myself for not having seen through what was happening. It's it's humiliating. Well, I'm going to just say this. I and and you know we'll we'll just accept the mean jerks thing, but. Uh, we will never, no. ever have this moment again. Never. Not no. only did you give us that moment where you gave us, you, you had no information. They were up 10-1 in the right. game. I mean, you're never going to get that chance again, ever. No. It was perfect. So, it was perfect from every angle. And that is, it's why it's never, it's not replicable, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> it's that, not the, replicable. The, 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 it was a perfect storm of my team having a huge lead, my team having a long history of blowing big games against that team, especially in New York, and then two mean jerks who were happy to take advantage of my lack of information. It was a, it's a, it will never happen again. It was a perfect moment in time for two mean jerks to exploit one emotionally vulnerable Red Sox fan. None. I, I no regrets, Brandon. What are you going to do? I mean, we're, we're never, we're never going to, yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. We only spent 29 minutes on, on the Yankee minute which is great and uh so let's do a short but still exciting cleveland browns update let's check in on the cleveland browns how are they doing first of all having three browns fans here together uh in one place (laughs) is is so exciting and huge um, browns fans yeah huge browns fans uh, across the board uh, so exciting. The Browns did win uh, their first Sunday victory <laughs> since 2015. Hugh Jackson's first Sunday victory as coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and of course, it was classic Browns. It took overtime. It took absurdities. It took all kinds of uh, insanity and 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 then one really awesome drive uh, by Baker Mayfield, who is uh, who has already been sainted in Cleveland. So very, very exciting. Uh, but I, I, I would like to ask both of you because the, there's no point in really reviewing the game other than to say, Mike, I wrote about Mike um, a little bit in The Athletic this week, uh, talking about him actually for the first time sort of dipping his toe in in Brownsdom. And, and so I want to ask you what you got out of that. And then Brandon, because nothing is funnier than the Cleveland Browns, Brandon has, has jumped in as well. So I want to ask each of you your own reaction to the Browns first Sunday victory in two years. So I was on an I, I'm as you know, as I've talked about before, I'm not really into the NFL anymore, but I was on a plane uh, coming back from Boston during the game and uh, and I was on JetBlue and they have TVs. And so I, when I turned on the TV, I saw that the, well, it was the Jets Broncos, which I was like, there's no better way. Like if I was ever tempted to watch the NFL again, thank God that they put the Jets Broncos on. I could, a game I literally couldn't be less interested in, but I went on my computer and I went on uh used Wi-Fi and I found that the Browns were like in that game. And so I follow that game. And then eventually when Jets Broncos got into the last couple minutes, I don't even know who won, uh, but it was a blowout of some kind. So they actually switched over. So I actually got to watch the last, as I was landing the last like th- four minutes or something of overtime. And it was so annoying. <laughs> I was so infuriated <laughs> by everything that happened. I like, I was infuriated as I was following along in the game on my computer 
by every choice, by every action, by every penalty. At one point, the Browns had like 11 penalties and the, and the Ravens had none, uh, which is like, I was like, well, that's whether or not those were real penalties. The fact that no penalties have been called on the other team is a perfect Browns moment. Um, and then like the, 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 the general way that the game went was so infuriating and made me so angry. I think I texted you why why did you do this to me <laughs> yes, I, bl- I blamed you for, for like for this eight minutes that i cared about the because <laughs> it is your fault but then at the end i saw the field goal the field goal was absurd it was a it was, it was the worst kick i've ever seen it looked like a it was like a college kick right it was like a, it was like a knuckle a low knuckleball um but he, at the end of the day you have a quarterback now who yes brought he was he was at his own 5 yard line with 2 minutes left in overtime the browns have no team wins a game like that except for the no. patriots the patriots <laughs> won that game but baker mayfield led that team down i mean it was like sure and then did. they also had like at one point they had a penalty called and it, like it went from you know they he scrambled for 16 yards but there was a holding call and suddenly it was like second and 25 and then he, he, you know, got 10 of it back. And then he threw, you know, it was third and 15 and he threw for 17 yards. Like you now have a guy who actually, who actually converts that te- the team that was dead in the water in almost every situation now feels like it has a chance in every situation. Like he leading your team from your own five yard line with two minutes left in overtime all the way down the field and kicking a field goal to win a game. I mean, that's what you dream of and who knows what the future of the team is, but like, it, it's a totally completely different world now. It's a, uh, I think it's a completely different world for the Browns and that the, the victory is much less important than the feeling that there actually is a guy who can lead you to that exact kind of victory. I mean, that was amazing. At the end of the day, no, so, it's amazing. It's hundred percent right. It's hundred percent right. It's, it's, it's just a completely different vibe. And it's not like it's not like Baker Mayfield played great in that game. He didn't. I mean, they, they you know, there was nine nine going in overtime. And the, the, even though it should have been ten nine since the Browns missed an extra point, but but point being, I mean, he's changed the whole dynamic, Brandon. So so give me your Browns uh, thoughts. Uh, I have very very few thoughts on this. I, I don't. Uh, well, I guess I do watch. <laughs> I watch a lot of the NFL, but all of it's based around fantasy football. That just it gets me through fall and so. I, I just I get up on Sunday mornings and it's just the red zone channels on all day. So I'm aware of things that are happening, but only in those little like millennial micro doses that I can take. And then I move on to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> so like it, it hops in and then you see this, you see the, the Browns trying to lose it at certain points and then trying to win it hilariously. Right. And then, and then eventually you see a game winning field goal and then it moves on to like a Derek Henry two yard run and you move on and you go, and like, hold on, rewind that. Like what did we just see here? We did just see a high school kick to win an NFL overtime game. My favorite moment though is right after that. And some people point this out on Twitter. You see Hugh Jackson put two fingers up in the air. I don't know two what fingers. he's signaling, yeah. that, signaling there. The possibilities are hilarious. He could have just been saying hi to someone. I still think he was signaling. We're going to go for two. Or there's two yeah. minutes, <laughs> be careful, guys. Let's not let our guard down. All of them hilarious because it just is shows that I thought he was signaling that was their second win. That's honestly what I thought he was signaling. I'm like, two wins. We have two wins now. I really thought that's what he that's, was doing. That's worse. I think that's worse than signaling we're going to go for two. The <laughs> it is ball. worse. Like, there's just no. There's nothing good that that could have been. Um, it just was like perfect hue of like, oh my God, I don't even know what this scenario is. I didn't plan for this one at all. So <laughs> I'm going to put this up so people think I'm coaching. And 
And it's like, all right, well, they're they're <laughs> off now. But they do actually have a good football player now in Baker Mayfield, which which makes them fun to watch. I've always thought that Pete Carroll looked like a B-movie actor who was hired to play the role of a football coach, like in a movie. <laughs> That's what he looks like to me. Like, I... I I don't believe he actually knows anything about football. I think he just like chews gum and he runs around and he kind of pumps his fist and he's like, just points to people and stuff. Like he doesn't look like a football coach to me. He looks like an actor who in like, who was in like one of the coaches in like any given Sunday. But now I have a new theory, which is that Hugh Jackson, who was, I think Hugh Jackson was signaling go for two. And I think Hugh Jackson actually doesn't know anything about, I think, I don't think he knows the rules of football. I think he was like hired to like stand it because he looks kind of imposing and because he says like good things about his team. My, my new conspiracy theory is he doesn't know how to play football. (laughs) (laughs) He he literally is like, I don't, if you asked him like how many yards do you need for a first down? He wouldn't be able to tell you. He wouldn't be able to tell you. He wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah. I, the, the two, the two things, somebody, somebody um, texted me and said, no, no, he was signaling there were two seconds left, which is just as stupid as all the other. Oh, yeah, like, There's so many seconds yeah. left in the game after it's over. Who cares? So but that, I don't know. That would, that would support my case, right? Because he would be saying like, guys, we still have to kick <laughs> off. There's two seconds left. The game isn't over. The clock is still two seconds on the clock. That would indicate very strongly that he doesn't know the rules. Yeah, or no, he does not know the rules. Like, be kind of dangerous where like someone told him like hey make sure you pay attention at the end of the game so the final seconds count and he's like oh, okay good i've remembered that and they, nobody explained that, <laughs> that the game ends at this point so he's like all right i'm gonna remind my guys one time left okay we have to take one more second to talk about that kick because <laughs> it, it's calling it a knuckler or a high school kick while all true is it does not and and it happened only I don't know, 45 seconds after uh, Graham Gano had kicked that 63 yarder for to, which I'm sure Brandon saw those back to back watching the red channel. Um, so Gano kicked that 63 yarder, which would have been good from like what 70 probably. I mean, it was just a freaking, and then, and then he kicks it and the way they showed it the first uh, Mike thought the same thing. It's like, Oh, it was blocked. And then it's like, just kind of like coughs us way over the over the thing. And it's like, oh, he made it. Oh, my God. I mean, that's like only the Browns could get a blocked kick in to finally win a game on Sunday. It's like, oh, this is great. And then you looked at the replay. And you're like, oh, that wasn't blocked. <laughs> I don't even know how you do that. How do you kick a ball like that? I know. It was shocking. I mean, it's like also <laughs> kicking is the thing in football that has gotten so it's gotten better and better and better every year for decades right. to the point where they had to move the extra point back to like the 40 or whatever <laughs> because the kickers are too good and it was like a 99.6 percent play and so the idea that the browns even when they are have turned the corner still don't have one of the many guys who can just <laughs> kick a ball normally through, through the uprights it's just a perfect situation who is that guy is he he's a rookie or something isn't he isn't he like a oh, uh, this is an unbelievable thing and i did not even know this until watching the game so he's their second kicker because their first kicker missed two extra points and a field goal in a game against the saints to blow that game right so so he's their second kicker and i'm like oh well they you know i mean like you said, these guys are like on the street. You can just like just you don't even need to call anybody. Just wave one down like a taxi in New York. Right. And 
during the game, they said, yeah, he went to Florida Atlantic or Florida, one of the Florida non, you know, major schools. And he wasn't good there. That's the, literally <laughs> the guy on television said, yeah, he only made like 67% of his kicks in college. <laughs> That's not possible. Honestly, oh. that's them, right? I mean, you you should be able to go back and like just get one of like the kickers from like the from the 80s and just bring them back. And it would be, you know, like, you know how every punter is named Colquitt. So there must be some like kicking family that you could just go and find, you know, somebody who can make a. It's it's an absurdity, Someone but he made it at the end of the day. Than that, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Get Mark Straight Mosley. On. Where's Mark Mosley these Mark days? Mark Mosley. That's what I'm saying. Bring Don Cockroft back or Mark <laughs> Mosley. Just have them just straight on kick it. Brandon, you're a soccer guy. Can you just send somebody over? Like somebody's got to be able to do this. That, I mean, the kick truly defied all uh, without it being blocked. To actually see that happen there is <laughs> so, so funny. When I keep thinking about it more and more. <laughs> Mickey, every once in a while you end up at a high school football game for whatever reason and you look at like the kicking situation there and the goalposts are just humongous. It's like the whole length of the end zone <laughs> telling you, like, just get it through here, guy. Like it's the backup like right guard who's kicking. Nothing is ever right. And then there's these good kicks. And that's exactly what it looks like. Just this yeah. right down spiral that was like dog hooking or duck hooking to the left. And it somehow got through NFL uprights to win a game and I don't know. It was perfect. It was, oh, it was the Browns. It's perfect. At 12 we'll 9 it. is the perfect score for the first yes. Brown Sunday victory in two years. It's like, it's, it's just, <laughs> it, it tells you exactly what you need to know about how, uh, about the quality of the game. <laughs> and I love that you could say, hey, the Browns won 12 9. Like, wow, what a game of field goals. Oh, no, the Browns scored a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just, that's right. <laughs> they, they still scored one. All right, we got to move on to our uh, uh, checking in on Scooter Jeanette. Checking in. Brandon, I don't know if you've been following the uh, scooter uh, chase this year, but um, uh, we have been watching to see if Cincinnati Reds uh, second baseman Scooter Jeanette could pull off uh, the scooter, which, as everybody knows, is... 15 grounded into double plays, 25 <laughs> home runs, 35 doubles, 45 walks. Everybody knows. It's said one of the oldest stats. They've been keeping track of the stats since like the pre-merger right, of the league, right. right? It goes back to 1876. It does. It's, it's, it's one of the original uh, yeah, stats I mean, we, in the game. We started this because, hey, we thought it would be funny if the guy named Scooter could actually get a scooter. <laughs> like it's just, right. It would be one of those funny coincidences. If this guy right. named Scooter, who happened to be named Scooter, could achieve could also the famous achieve the scooter, baseball right. thing called the Scooter, yeah, exactly. It's it's exactly like the guy named Wetzel starting a pretzel company, right? It's like the Wetzel's <laughs> yeah. pretzels. That's it's right. like the Scooter. Can he pull off the Scooter? So how do we scooter. do, Joe? The season's over. Did he? Did he the accomplish the Scooter? Over. As we as we sort of saw coming, he fell just shy of the mm. Scooter. In um, all four categories, just <laughs> so he had fourteen double plays, so oh. so just so close on the double plays. Had thirty, uh, I'm sorry, had twenty three home runs, oh. so two homers shy of the scooter. Uh, well short in the doubles, only had thirty doubles. He's five doubles shy of the scooter. 
42 walks. So three <sighs> walks. It looked like he was going to pull off the the uh, walks, uh, but he did not. So, but you know, Scooter Jeanette's only 28, so they still has a little bit of time uh, in his career. I mean, certainly that's something that you know you, you've got to you got to do when you're in your prime. But yeah. but. It's that tw- it's it, that sweet spot. It's that twenty-seven to thirty-one sweet spot. Twenty-seven to thirty-one is when you want mm-hmm. to do it. So, in that information, I can give you uh, who who are our two thousand eighteen uh, scooters. Uh, there's there only scooters four. This year? There were four scooters this wow. year, um, and four guys who came heartbreakingly close to the scooter. <laughs> heartbreakingly close. So, our scooters are Manny Machado. Uh, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, and JD Martinez. So, so four. I mean, again, uh, I don't want it. Like, it is the number one indicator of quality in a baseball player is if you can scooter. <laughs> I would say, right? I mean, it, those are four Hall of Fame players, probably, four, right? Or four, four guys who are four guys who are on their way to Hall of Fame careers. Four guys Brandon McCarthy does not want to see come up. Unless there's a guy in first, maybe then he does want to see them come up. But <laughs> four, four guys. Uh, Machado just barely made it on the doubles, but crushed the double plays. 26 double plays for Manny wow. Machado this year. Isn't that stunning? Manny Machado's a good athlete. That's, uh, I mean, he you know, like he hits the ball really he, hard. He hits the ball, he right? he he hits ball really hard. He hits it on the ground. Person. His doubles aren't beating balls. I guess not. Right. I think after his knee injuries, he's, it's, uh, he's trying his best, but it's not going anywhere quickly. Wow. Speaking of not fast, how about that? uh, The way that Yankee game ended. My gosh. (laughs) Somebody was moving pretty slow. Every person who's watched a baseball game right off the bat goes uh, to hit. And then they showed the the above view and you could see the third baseman playing back. And you're like, it's definitely a hit. It's just going to be, this is going to be really good now. (laughs) And then he's just out. I was like, what the? Did you get lost on the way? Bregman just barely made it on the double plays, 15 double plays for him. Arenado uh, and Martinez, just uh, clean, clean scooters, really in, in, solid in every category. Before that fell just shy of the scooter, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, one double shy of the scooter. Uh-huh. Which- <laughs> Stanton, by the way, and, and this is, and this is actually a, a more of a serious point. Um, Stanton had one of the worst at bats I've ever seen in that ninth inning. And he's, I mean, I'm not saying he's the the reason that the Yankees didn't come back, but you had a, you had a, a pitcher out there who was really struggling, couldn't get his slider over at all. I mean, he hit a guy with his slider, couldn't get it over at all. And Stanton waved it. How many, two or three, I can't even, I, I, two or three sliders. He just waved at that, at least from, you know, and look, and that's, I get it. It's really, really hard. I'm not. I'm not saying that that uh, that this is not something. But he's he is Giancarlo Stanton. He's a great player, and uh, man, he really gave himself up on on a couple of sliders. Uh, Again, that, uh, I'll go back to Brandon's text. A lot of guys earning their pinstripes. Like again, <laughs> I, I in my head that what had happened was Giancarlo Stanton or McCutcheon or whoever had earned his pinstripes, and right. to find that the truth of the matter was he had just. He was flailing around the entire series. I think he had, I don't think he had an extra base hit. I think he was four for 18 with four singles. Uh, I think that's right. I think so whole, he, had a, he had a homer in the, in the wild card game on yeah. the, on the, uh, on the breaking ball. But I mean, this is like, again, I, I don't want the reason you don't want to dance on the grave is because this, this group of young players that they have 
Torres and and uh, Andahar and, Andahar and, and yeah. Justice Sheffield and all these guys, they're going to haunt us. We, we've talked about this. They're going to haunt us for a decade. But right, right now, it's just so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, will you? Did you think that was like? Did, am, am I am I overstating the uh, the at bat that Stanton had in the in the ninth inning yesterday? No, I mean I I really struggled to like criticize anyone facing Craig no, Kimmel, right. I don't understand how he gets hit in any situation. Right. And I thought some of the at bats that inning were fantastic. Gary yes. Sanchez at bat was really really good. Some of the pitches that he took, um, but that kind of goes back to that. Uh, that point I talked about where like which lineup you'd rather face and obviously facing Stan and is not fun and he can ruin you in, in a heartbeat. But it was like that at bat was kind of disconnected where everybody else had gone into full grind mode. It yes. was every pitch. Great point. Uh, here's the rope to for Kimbrel. You walk yourself uh, to death here. And then it was like this one guy came in and just was this little oasis of an out. And I think that just kind of it ruined like the momentum there. And you see when, when teams really are in full go mode, it was like the, that one guy doesn't stand out. He might get out, but it's like I, it took eight or nine pitches and I was on everything. It was like he had just shifted in a new hitter and that one was like he just stayed with his regular approach yeah. and then just kind of ended up. It looked like flailing, which if there's one guy you're going to flail against, it's going to be Kimbrel, but it, it stood out with everybody else. Well, that's right. No, that's 100% right. I mean, again, it is it is Craig Kimbrell, as you, you know, talk about, you know, Hall of Famer. I mean, a dominant, dominant pitcher. But that's exactly what I thought. That's why it looked like he was flailing is because he didn't go into grind mode. He he really, he he was the one guy. I mean, you could see Kimbrell really struggling with a bunch of guys who were not swinging at his, at his slider, who were, who were fouling off pitches. Uh, it was it was getting to him, and you're right. I mean, that's perfect way to put it. That was an oasis of an at bat for 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 him. Um, if he if he even puts up a tough ten pitch at bat and then goes down, even even that I think would have sort of kept the momentum going. Instead, it was kind of a it was kind of an easy Kimbrel uh, at bat for him. If Gardner uh, had been up there instead of. Stanton, uh, the Yankees win that game. I think. Yeah, I think that's right. If Gardner I think had gone, right. done his thing where he just like took, got to two and zero, then took a strike, then fouled off three pitches in a row, then took ball three, then fouled off another three pitches, and then whatever struck out, popped up, whatever. I think the Yankees win that game. By the way, as you've been talking, uh, podcast guest Alan Seppenwall just texted me and just said the next Yankee minute will be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, this one is for you, man. Seriously, I want you to enjoy every minute of it. All right, Matt Chapman uh, finished one home run shy of the scooter. Uh, um, a very he'll tough. Be back. He'll be back. He'll, he'll be back. Stephen Piscotty finished three walks shy of the scooter, which I have to say, uh, honestly, that's not that close. I mean, you, come on, you got to get the, the walks 45. are the easiest part, man. Right, if you can't get right. forty-five walks in an entire season, come on. <laughs> Especially if you're really good, like Biscotti is. And then this is the heartbreaking one. Trevor Story finishes three double plays shy of the scooter. And he's got to be pretty ticked off about the about that. I mean, you know, that's that's it it feels like he probably he could blame like teammates for that, you know, for not not getting on base in front of him enough to to get him to the 15 double plays. But that, that's a tough one. That's a Do tough one. That part of the reason the Rockies exited the playoffs with such a whimper is because Trevor story was deliberately trying to hit into double plays in order to achieve a scooter. I do. 
Well, I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, you you don't want people to be individualistic in baseball, but I mean, if the scooter's there, if oh, it's they there would, to be had, would understand. Yeah, they'd understand. They would absolutely <laughs> understand. All right, moving on. One more one more segment. We are going to do our sports movie time. And you know what? This is not I, – I want this one to be just very um, sort of succinct and, and to the point because I don't think it's specifically a question like we've had uh, in the past. Our sports movie time topic this week is uh, uh, from Major League, and it's really a question of – and I want to ask both of you this. If you can come up with a viable backstory for Willie Mays Hayes, I want a viable – backstory that makes sense so willie mays hayes uh played by wesley snipes shows up at camp in a nice car dressed completely to the nines just 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 decked out shows up they're like okay you know what's the deal and he introduces himself say hey willie mays hayes here play like mays and i run like hayes and they're all like okay well the parking lot's back there and then they realize um, during the during the night that he's not a member of the team, that he is not actually on the list. So they take his cot and they throw him out to the point where he wakes up in his silk pajamas and and goes, what, I've already been cut? And then he sees that they're having a little 40 times uh, and he races into a 40 time, beats two of the slowest white guys who have ever existed <laughs> In, it's I watched it again just for that scene, just to watch those two guys run. And and then they're like, give him a uniform. He can't hit uh, at first. So they t- tell him hit everything on the ground. He didn't play anywhere the year before uh, that anybody knows of. And he comes in and becomes this electric um, uh, leadoff hitter who who I assume leads the league in stolen bases and all that. So I want I want each of you to take a shot at how a Willie Mays Hayes could happen is like, is there what, what, what in the world is the background to Willie Mays Hayes? Well, I mean, half of it, I think is whatever, wherever Billy Hamilton came from. Right. Right. That's like, in terms of his abilities, it's like he he basically is Billy Hamilton. He's Billy Hamilton. Um, And so I don't know where Billy Hamilton came from, but you could just say, all right, whatever his deal was. (laughs) But I think in my head, it's like he is a high school track star who's just like an all around, like a high achieving kind of guy. And he went into maybe his family business or like some kind of like. He, you know, he's like a, a a smooth talking guy and he's very impressive and he's got a lot of, he can do a lot of different things and he's good looking and he's kind of like, he's just like a high achieving person in general. So maybe he went into, you know, the world of finance or something right. and he was successful and he, you know, had a nice car and he buys silk pajamas, but he kind of is always like, I just, I, I, I bailed out of sports too quickly. Like that was my true love. I could always run. Maybe and like he's always he's you know he's making deals on uh, in Wall Street and or whatever and he's kind of like you know he's living a good life he has a good he has a nice house and a nice car and he has a good job and whatever but he's just kind of like he never quite got over his love of sports <laughs> and so when the Indians are um, are essentially become a Ponzi scheme <laughs> that, that <laughs> is being that they're where they're intentionally trying to uh, fold the team and they're sort of like this open call or whatever for players. 
he sees his chance and he goes in and he says like, well, I can, I know I can run faster than these guys. And that's where he came from. I think it's something like that. Like if it's not like it's plausible, but it's probably equally as plausible as, um, as, uh, what's his name? Tom Berenger, like bunting for a hit in the, in the, at a key moment in that game and being safe at first. I mean, if you thought that, if you thought that like, uh, you know, it was a slow home to first time in game four of the ALDS, like the home to first time of Tom Berenger in, uh, in that key moment is like, I mean, it's in slow motion granted, but it looks like it takes him a, uh, a, like a two and a half hours to run from home to first and he's still safe. So I, to me, this, the backstory of Willie Mays Hayes is no less plausible than the other 300 things that happened in that movie. I like it. I like it. Do you think he's William Hayes in like his like professional well, life? He, and he, what does he mean? I forget now. I know this is like an oft asked question about the movie, but hit like Mays, run like Hayes. Who's Hayes? I, I assumed he, it's he, Bullet, he, Bullet he, Bob Hayes. Hayes. Uh, yeah. Bullet no, Bob Bullet Hayes. Hayes. No, I thought that's, that was like a spin on this. Like, I'm Hayes. Like, I'm going to show you the running part of it. That's like, what I thought. I thought it was like, I've hit like Willie Mays, but I run like me. I run like yeah. I'm, I'm. Oh, no, I, I thought it was than, Bullet Bob Hayes. Bullet Bob Hayes was an Olympic gold medalist uh, in the 100 who won the, the gold in the in the 100 and then went and played in the NFL for like 15 years and was like super duper fast and ended up in the Hall of Fame. Right, I've assumed well, that's what you're talking yeah. about, but well, that's a really, something. actually, that should have been the question. All right, Brandon, do you have a <laughs> shot? Do you want to take a shot at this, uh, at this backstory? I don't, I, like, to me, it's not this huge as I, I have seen, I feel like I've seen guys like him where it's just a guy that comes from independent ball. I, I keep forgetting that he wasn't invited to this camp, so that's where he shows up <laughs> in the scene where he just, they take him out of the, the dorm and they pop him back in, but... Um, you said he shows up in a nice car. You know what that car is, right? It's a it's a Volkswagen Beetle with a Rolls Royce hood. Oh wow! Perfect little, yeah, you got to look at the really? picture. It's one of those, yeah, it's the funniest. It just has this Rolls Royce hood <laughs> on a Beetle, and he pulls into the camp with this. And that's the part that sells it. There's these there's so many guys that show up, and they'll show up in like a big league strength training camp. You know they're going to be one of the first people cut, and then just very very proud of their car. Um, and you, you know, kind of where you're showing up. It's like a big, like, there's gonna be two Ferraris in here and like a Maybach. And then like, this guy's really proud of his Chrysler 300. <laughs> and it's kind of this, like, um, you're happy for them, but also like, well, we got to see the larger picture here. And like these people that can't totally get where they fall on the, the grand scale here. So he, he kind of rings true as one of those guys, except he's just on a really bad team where there aren't any good players. So we get the chance to actually be good and thrive, which, which we've seen before. So I don't have this like deep backstory to him other than he's a guy who's slipped through the cracks, even though he's a good player. And then he shows up, but he's just somehow has never lost any of his confidence or edge. He's yeah. like, Kurt, he's like Kurt Warner was in the, on the 99 Rams. You're oh, saying okay. he's like, like a, he was yeah. in a, st- he was a stock boy in a supermarket for a while, but he always knew he could play. And then he gets a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And, All right. he, and he really didn't even get a shot. He just kind of showed up and he and then he he managed to earn a shot. I also want to say, having watched the highlight of it, um, it, it at least from what I can tell, they filmed that enough times that Wesley Snipes, they filmed Wesley Snipes popping up into the into the batting cage like six times because each one looks like a different swing. And I don't think that they used I don't even think there was any sort of CGI way to do that. I think they must have like told him, okay, pop it straight up uh, over and over and over again. So that's, that's fairly impressive. I think. 
I mean, apparently not. Apparently sure. not. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> no, nobody's, nobody's given me how impressive that was. I don't think but I can go with you on this one. <laughs> I oh, look, I could not just pop it up strict six straight times into the screen. I, I just think that's that's. I actually something. think you could. I think if the, if they threw you a bunch of pitches, that would naturally happen. I think. <laughs> no, that's probably true. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that, but I could do that. Is what you're saying. Brandon, you just texted us this picture. I, I think you're wrong. I think that's just an old Rolls Royce. I don't think that's a Volkswagen Beetle with a Rolls Royce hood. Look at the picture. It is clearly oh, yeah. that can't be any more of a Beetle than. No, I just it think it's a 1987 Rolls Royce or whatever. I, I, I don't <laughs> think that. I think they decided to make them look like Beetles. Yeah, it I don't. 19, I, it is a 1972 Volkswagen Beetle with a Rolls Royce hood. <laughs> All right. Oh, I do love that. You know what? That adds so much to the to the Willie Mays Hayes story, by the way. Um I can't believe you guys don't think it's Bullet Bob Hayes. I know it's Bullet Bob Hayes. I'm I know sure that's it is. I just don't know who Bullet, Bullet Bob, Bob Hayes, Hayes is. <laughs> yeah. How could you never have heard of Bullet Bob Hayes? Come on. You're, now you're falling in this like I have access to the internet. I'm just not going to look it up. I'm going to keep in the story. Like, <laughs> you, you guys can run with this and tell me that he's this American hero I should have heard of and know about, but and I'm going to let you guys that actually would have been an, look it up. That would have been an awesome. Why not Lester Hayes? Lester Hayes was a good runner, right? No, not that good. He was more known for the stickum, right? He was more for his, yeah. like he had the stickum on his hands. Hi. So that was. This is probably an abrupt ending uh, to the podcast. More abrupt than you're used to. But we're going to try something a little bit different this week. Um, Mike, Brandon, and I uh, did a draft together and did one last meaningless thing. Uh, it is insane and uh, absurd and and all of those things that uh, that our drafts usually are. And uh, this week, what we're going to try to do is we're going to put it exclusively over at uh, our Patreon, our podcast Patreon. So I uh, would love for you to hear it. It is, uh, you have to be a member uh, to to listen, uh, but I think we're going to start having a lot of uh, podcast exclusive content over at the Patreon. So I uh, would love for you to go over there and try it out. You can come to my blog and, and that could get you there. That uh, blog is just joeposnanski.com uh, or you can go directly to the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash, which I think are the only slashes uh, allowed anymore. Uh, Joe Blogs, J-O-E, you don't need capital, B-L-O-G-S. So J-O-E-B-L-O-G-S, Joe Blogs, uh, after the Patreon.com. Would love for you to come over and become a member. Um, uh, But hopefully you enjoyed this one. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for having me.